You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello, and you are listening to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld, and today, all the way from Amsterdam, Woody Foo is our guest. Woody Foo. Hello. Hi. Welcome back. You've been gone for a year. I've been gone for nine months. Nine months. Yes, enough time to have a baby. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You look great. You're tanned. Mm-hmm. Your skin yes. is peeling slightly. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Peeling grossly. This is, uh, I was just in Costa Rica with uh, Evan and uh, Emily Shapiro organized that Happy Soul thing. I yeah. was just there for a week. It was fabulous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you do in a happy soul? Everybody, I see all the pictures on Facebook. Everybody's having a lot of fun. Makes me angry. <laughs> so what, take me through a happy soul. What do you it's, do for a week? It's great. Uh, you do yoga. Yeah. You wake up super early to do yoga, which I never do um, in my normal life. And then you have like hours to do with whatever you please. You can like go to the beach, get a smoothie. Uh, there's a lot of lounging. You know, a lot of like sort of like that that thing that people do where they're like, completely horizontal except for their head sticking up propped up on their phone there's like a <laughs> yeah. lot of that yeah hammocks uh, are we talking hammocks there are hammocks that's great plentiful hammocks that's good uh lunch happens at some point uh alana will teach an improv workshop and then we'll eat dinner and watch the sunset on the beach it's it is a complete paradise yeah yeah sounds horrible to me <laughs> making you you just angrier with each thing that i describe well no not everything but like hammocks sound great Yoga sounds okay. I don't have a smartphone. I heard that you were into yoga now. Oh yeah, for a couple of years now. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's it's. I, I'm surprised at anybody. It's become one of my uh, one of my favorite things. Mm. Yeah, lounging though, horrible. Really? Do you have a? Do you feel guilty if you are relaxed yeah. like I I yeah. do? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I when I have like I experienced this during the Christmas break this year. I ended up just by accident having a week where I really didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And um, made all these plans of the stuff that I was going to accomplish and didn't do anything Mm -hmm. and felt horrible the entire time. Yeah. I feel intense guilt if I'm not multitasking. Yeah. Like if I'm only doing one thing, I feel terrible. Yeah. All the time. Do you think, do you think that that's an, like we've just internalized, you know, like the culture around us has, has made us feel guilty for not, for not you know, using our time, like being utilitarian with our time? Or do you think that it's kind of like a biological thing for us that if we're Mm. not like executing things with a sense of purpose, we just begin to feel a little bit insane? Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of a mixture. I think it's a lot of things. I think one, it's being in New York. Yeah. It's a frenetic, you know, city and everybody kind of behaves that way competitively. I think also, um, I'm extremely neurotic in Chinese. Mm -hmm. And so culturally there's a component of like, like, why am I just sitting here? Like, on the toilet, I should be composing an email as well. Like, you know, I should be doing multiple things simultaneously at all times. You make it sound so beautiful when you're composing an email. It's, it's like a symphony. It's 90% of my emails are composed on the toilet. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I guess that that's true that there is kind of like, there are like ley lines in New York, you know, there's just like this energy that's wafting through your body that you constantly have to be like oh, yeah. applying it towards some end. And if you're not, it's just this kind of chronic feeling of like restless, horrible anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I feel like everybody in New York at all times has like, like in Photoshop, there's like opacity layer, like you have a layer that you can toggle the opacity for it. So yeah. everybody in New York at all times has like a 70% opacity, like, frenetic anxious anxiety vibe constantly like pumping out of them generating out of them it's infectious and it affects everybody yeah 
I, I spent uh, a month in Maui. I was teaching um, some improv in Maui a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, a very beautiful experience. And uh, Maui is like the anti-New York in, in the sense that there's also a really strong dynamic energy to the island. You feel it. It's very specific. As intense as New York's energy is intense, but the exact opposite yeah. of New York's energy. And uh, boy, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> not my speed at all. Do you not enjoy relaxation, Lewis? I guess not. I guess like I'm, I'm relaxing... I have to be slightly stressed to be relaxed, I think. Yeah. I think that's that's part of it. Also, it's and it's not like I don't use my time productively by any stretch of the imagination. And every time I try to mm. get my stuff together and, and do that, it's it, like a disaster. Yeah, yeah. But like doing stuff like teaching improv and doing shows, like basically being at a theater, it kind of is like gives me just enough of this is how I want to structure time to keep myself feeling like sane and mm-hmm. balanced. But if I don't have that that place to go to to like be doing stuff constantly i I do like i i I, there's a lot of a lot of uh uh, steam pressure going on inside of me yeah the space provides the discipline yeah Mm -hmm. for sure yeah let's talk about bloom chicago you've just spent nine Mm -hmm. sweet sweet months of chicago Mm -hmm. (sighs) how was it (laughs) well i'm still in it uh i still have another three months on my contract oh really you're just on a like a quick break right now yeah well i uh i sent the contract is for a year and so right now this is the first time i've left europe uh, first time in nine months, so it was a huge culture shock being back here. Um, You're acclimated now? I am now. Now, yeah. when I first, I was like walking around like a doe-eyed tourist, like slowly and appreciatively, you know? Yeah. And now I'm like weaving through crowds of people like angrily, yeah. <laughs> like all New Yorkers. You get a window of opportunity. You get about 48 hours to be amazed at New York City mm-hmm. upon returning from a from a foreign location yeah. before you're just completely jaded and, yeah. and horrible again. Yeah, and, and I'm like, I'm almost there right yeah. now. I'm like, oh man, this train, what's yeah. up with this train? I, I've found when I when I was away for a while when I got back even being on a slow moving train was like amazing to me I was mm-hmm. like this is great yeah you're look, in the lap of luxury look at all these look at all these amazing people and everyone looks so pissed off around me and this is just like delightful man I get to do this every day and then it was like 48 hours and I was just the angriest yeah. son of a bitch yeah yeah it's uh, contagious it, yeah you, you pick up again the energy possesses you right mm-hmm. like it, it just like takes hold of you and then you're on that wavelength you can't help it absolutely yeah uh so i'm i'm in chicago i'm in boom chicago in amsterdam uh it is for people who don't know what it is it is a theater in amsterdam that was founded by two guys from chicago in the 90s uh they do sketch comedy and short form in like a, a two-act show uh in this in this now very very big theater it used to be on a different neighborhood like i think when a lot of people talk about boom they refer to the space that it used to be at which was a way more touristy area and it's in a new theater now a bigger theater that's a little more like cool neighborhood like a little more subdued uh but it's a it's a beautiful theater um i've been there for nine months uh performing we wrote a sketch show uh which i'd never done before uh and i perform short form games uh most nights of the week to a predominantly touristy English-speaking audience. Uh, uh, most nights of the week, how many? Five, six? Uh, depend. Right now, in January is a slow month, so it's like four nights a week, but typically five nights a week. You do like multiple sets per night, or is it just like one show a night? Only on Saturday that we do two shows because there's a late night show on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it's one show a day. And English-speaking tourists, mostly English-speaking Europeans, or or like Americans are going to Amsterdam to then watch other Americans perform? Uh, I th- it's, a, it's a blend. I think there's a lot of Europeans there, but also, like, 
uh, it has been there, the theater has been there long enough such that people who are traveling be like, what can we do in Amsterdam? Like yeah. it will pop up and they'll be like, oh, an American comedy show. Great. I'm from America. Yeah. I would want to see that. What sets Boom Because Boom Chicago has been on the map for a long time. It's a, that's a, a huge, congratulations, by the way, for work. It's a huge deal to, to be accepted into Boom Chicago. Thank you. What, what, um, what is its reputation exactly? What sets it apart that makes it... Like, it's one of those things that you know, it's one of the cool things to do when you go to Amsterdam is go check out Boom Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so what, what, what do you find are people's expectations when they come to see a play? Uh, well, it's... it's Again, I feel like a lot of like I didn't I didn't really honestly did not know them that much about Boom until I auditioned for it and then I did a bunch of research for it. Uh, but all the stuff that exists online, I think, refers to Boom as like uh, this place where uh, you go and then you kind of get razzed a little bit. Like if you're like a drunk tourist, mm-hmm. uh, it's like it's like a anything goes kind of like a comedy theater. Um, I think when. When I was there, when I was performing, I did see that. But also, again, this, I'm in a different theater, so it's like I feel like the, the, the space provides different behavior, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, the old theater was smaller and rowdier and in a more touristy neighborhood. So, like, there'd be a lot more, like, drunko hen parties and, and stag parties going there, like, screaming dildo as a suggestion and getting, like, shut down. And don't get me wrong, we get that, too. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's a little more subdued now, I think. Um, because the space is just much bigger. Um, so like we, the, sh- the sketch show that we had to write for it was like kind of took that into account and like kind of, there were, like there's sketches in the show that take into account the largeness of the space and we kind of utilize that for certain bits. Um, but I think when you go there, you're kind of like, oh, it's an American comedy show, but you don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. You, you just know that you're expecting to see a comedy show and laugh. Uh, but what we do is, is a mostly, we do a sketch show that we wrote and then we toggled between that and a best of show, which is kind of like archival boom sketches from the last 20 years. So like we put on, we perform sketches that other people have written and we do like a bunch of short form games. How, how long does a show run for? It's about two hours, two acts, two hours. And, and how long, like how long will your sketch, is your sketch show going to run for like two months? Uh, once we're finished writing it, it runs for the season, which kind of varies based on, when we started writing it, the tourist season, uh, if there's a new cast coming in, if there's new hires coming in, like how how busy the theater is and whether or not they want to do a new show, how well the show is doing. So right now, this show we did, uh, we created, I think, in September, and it's been running ever since. Yeah. And it'll probably be going until the spring or early summer, I'm yeah. guessing. I have a, a couple of, of like process questions about the creation of material, mm-hmm. but before we, we do that, I'm, I'm really curious about how you adapted... A performing for a foreign audience, mm. um, who I imagine are expecting Americanisms, but not so much Americanism that it, it you kind of like stamp yourself and you don't have kind of like broader appeal. Mm-hmm. And how do, how do you how have you adapted to like the razzing thing of <laughs> of like because that's another thing that Boom Chicago is also famous for. If you get into the company, you're expected to learn how to how to manage. Yeah, you adopt the voice of like the razzing <clears throat> of the drunken tourist guy. Yeah. Um, What's interesting, I mean, because I, I was a big concern of mine. And before you get there, they send you like a welcome letter, like what to expect, what to pack, you know. Um, and part of that is like it says explicitly, like, you will probably feel unfunny for the first couple months. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the things that you lean on as a performer, uh, your expectations, like, playing in a, in a theater of 
people that know you and have seen you perform before, the expectation levels are completely different. It's like, oh, you know, there's, there's Woody doing the Woody thing that we know that he can do versus like um, performing in a theater where the audience doesn't know you at all and will never see you again. So like, um, number one, I feel like a lot of perform, you, I, I had to re, uh, resequence my like approach to stuff, I think. Uh, I feel like a lot of like just in general pop culture things don't really hit as hard. Um, and I think in a lot of ways you have to really, uh, you really have to show, it's like you have to show the scene has to, has to succeed based on the things that you exhibit in the show, in the scene, mm-hmm. you know, in a much more like stripped down way. Like I am exhibiting this emotion and like that will be my promise in the scene to continue doing that mm-hmm. versus being like, here's a bunch of hilarious, like Harry Potter jokes that like you might not get because you've never seen Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely felt that I was definitely <laughs> felt, uh, like a, a not funny monster <laughs> for the first six months. Uh, but I think that's pretty normal for any kind of like learning curve for like new performative learning curve. Like yeah. I felt that way on story parts. My first year I was like, uh, I just want to, just want to do this job. Right. I just want to prove to everyone that they hired me correctly and that I was not an aberration of yeah. hiring uh, and that I can do this job competently and not make mistakes. There's that, that little thing of like, boy, I hope nobody finds out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's that great onion thing. It's like the, this, today the day they all find out you're a fraud. Yeah. It's like basically every improviser's like constant waking day. Yeah. Um, so there was that, like, and then, but then when I started my second year of Story Pirates, there was a little more like, okay, I know I'm not a complete disaster. I know I have a certain skill set, and I know now I can actually begin having fun within this job, understanding what it is. Um, and, uh, uh, I, um, and I feel like you don't really get that until you see someone else relative to yourself doing what you originally did, which mm-hmm. is to say someone also coming, a new hire being like, okay, I just got hired here. Like, I want to do this right now. You know, you see exactly, you understand exactly there what's going on in their brain, uh, which I experienced at Story Parts, and I also um, felt boom because, while well, uh, recently we just hired a new cast member, and she just got there, and she's like, okay, I want to learn these games. I want to learn these sketches. I want to, you know, do the job right. And I'm like, oh, like, I've, I didn't even realize that I had internalized those things until I see it external to me. Yeah, you, you kind of like, you don't have that marker for your progress. Right. You have to have that like that kind of like a constant outside of yourself to measure that like, oh wow, I'm 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 actually six feet further than I thought I was. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because you I mean you're always like on your own internal trajectory of like your own narrative that you create for yourself. And it's true, you don't really you don't you can't mark any sense of progress until it's re- it's placed up relative to other people. And yeah. you're like, oh okay, yeah. Now I can. Now I have a, uh, a reference point for my own growth. Well, I imagine too that there's also something to to having a new person and and maybe having a little bit of a feeling for like I I can be protective of you with this or I can I, I yeah. my experience can help to kind of guide you through some of like the pitfalls or like I relate emotionally to what you're going through mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like you feel like less of a fraud not because you've really learned a hell of a lot but it's like when you have to serve somebody else's yeah. needs you kind of just find that like oh i had it in me the whole time yeah how about that i had the ruby slippers on my feet this entire time yeah and it's that's great when your instinct to take care of someone else takes over is louder than your own internal like critic constantly yeah. being like blah 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 yeah. like 
when you act on that instinct, it's always, it's always the best thing. Yeah. Because that's you acting on your instinct, which is what is always better than just sitting there, like, staring at your navel yeah. and, like, complaining about whatever. What is it like joining, like, the company that you joined, were they already together for a long time as a, as a, as a cast? Uh, the cast has gone through many, many changes. Uh, and people kind of stayed based on their own enjoyment and whim. Like, some cast members have been there years and years. Some cast members have uh, now lived there. And like have started a family, you know, some cast members have only been there like one year. So it's like it really depends on your own personal relationship to the whole experience and the city. Yeah. Uh, this particular cast is um, there's a guy named Lolu who is a veteran. He's been there many years. Uh, they're all super, super funny. Uh, there's uh, a girl, Allie, Allie Beersley from L.A. She's great. Uh, she's been there two years. Um, and then three people got hired when I got hired. It was me. This girl, Emily Fightmaster, which is an amazing name from Chicago, yeah. and uh, Ian Owens from L.A. And we just hired a new girl, Katie Kershaw, from Chicago. So mm-hmm. right now there's six people in the cast. Um, and, like, the number fluctuates? It's not always six? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in years past, the cast would be as big as, like, 12 yeah. or more. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just recently they've been keeping it small. Are you guys, like, are you just, like living and working together all the time like is it a constant thing of rehearsal and show and and like are you guys a unit or do you have a lot of like can you live a life there uh yeah you definitely can live a life there when we were in show process for creating the new show it was constant like we would a typical day for that would be wake up rehearse from go to rehearsal from 12 to 5 during rehearsal you either come in with sketches that you wrote or uh you have a premise for a sketch you kind of improvise your way through it and see what works um and then do the show, the actual show, uh, from like 8.30 to 10.30. Then after that, you throw up a set, like a half-hour set, where you're trying out some of that material on a new audience mm-hmm. and see what hits and what doesn't. And then uh, the next day, repeat it. And mm-hmm. it was that for like three months. Uh, which That got really intense because it's relentless. And you're all, like, uh, I, was, I live with two other castmates. We would see each other all the time. Uh, right now, because we're not in show process, we do the show, we occasionally have a rehearsal. Uh, and outside of that, it's like kind of like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I, the, um, the like endurance of show process. Um, like, does that, do you like hate each other at a certain point? Do, you hate, do yeah. you hate yourself for a long <laughs> chunk of it? All those things. <clears throat> yeah. It's crazy. I, Cause I'd never done a show process before and it's super intense and, uh, that's a shitload of comedy every day. Yeah. And there's gotta be a point where you kind of like lose the taste of it. Yeah, it, be, it it's it's it was very hard for me. Um, I felt like it brought out both the best and the worst of me. Yeah. You know, like it brought out like it revealed to me like my coping mechanisms for things and like, uh, but also like I it, it was a high tension experience that created allowed me to create a lot of things too. Yeah, uh, it was the only thing I can, I can only imagine. It's like a reality show. Yeah, it's like six people, some of them whom live together are working together all day long, and so like. You love each other, you get on each other's nerves. It's very familial, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like sibling-ish relationships developed out of that. I was like, oh, okay, like, we're basically family. Like, yeah. we love each other, but then we get on each other's nerves, and then we love each other, and then we go out, and then next day, begin again. How long were you there before you went into your show process? Um, we had an interrupted show process, actually. We started with one director who had to leave uh, because his father got ill. And then, so it was like put on hold. And then uh, two months later, we started again. We mm-hmm. had two months. Um, so I was there for maybe like a few months, two or three months before we started. And then it got put on hold. And then I, I kind of got my feet 
wet a little more and settled more settled in and then we began it again yeah i i'm a little bit like obsessive about first impressions and uh uh like one of the scariest things in the world is starting a new job meeting new people mm-hmm. and I, I always like blank i don't remember how i ever made friends to begin with anywhere so yeah. like i don't know how to make new friends i'm not like easily sociable and whatnot with people and then so so like i put a lot of pressure on first impressions and a lot of pressure on like oh fuck if i'm not funny the yeah. first time you meet me that's it i'm not going to be funny right. the entire rest of the time we're together and then you're, you're just like manic <laughs> then you're ma- yeah then you're insane and manic yeah and, and 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 then in that when you're like coming in as a replacement for somebody else or there's also like the thing of like, okay, what role am I filling exactly? What Mm -hmm. expectations are there of me? And then to go into show process, which is like, okay, this grueling, you know, 15 hours a day, you're giving everything that you have comedy wise. It, 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 it like, was any of that stuff? How did you cope with that stuff? Assuming you experienced any of it? Like, how do you, how do you put, how do you put your own bullshit aside to just do the job that's in front of you? Um, well, a lot of it is like, I was like, okay, I just had to be a professional. Yeah. Like, uh, this is a job. And so, uh, I mean, you were, you were talking about this actually with, I think on the Dwyer podcast where it's like a doctor is never like, I don't feel like very good doctoring today. Yeah, like, yeah. You're just a doctor and you do the job. Yeah. So that's part of it. But again, another aspect of it is like, yeah, like, you know, a lot of com a lot of the best comedy is stuff that comes from inspired things. So like you also have to be open and receptive to that, despite all the internal bullshit that's going on in your brain. Yeah. Which I really think is just a heightened version of what any improv scene is. You know, you constantly have your own internal bullshit and you're like, okay, I'm going to have to trust that whatever's happening is more interesting or possible for more interesting things than me screaming in my own brain mm-hmm. over and over again. What were what were uh, the coping mechanisms that you discovered in yourself? Um, I've discovered that I'm really not good at confrontation, yeah. which I knew. Um, confrontation, uh, conflict resolution in the Fu family resu- uh, consists of being in an argument, not talking to each other for three days, and then resuming talking like nothing happened. Yeah, that is, that is Fu family. Conflict Resolution 101. It's a pretty reasonable tactic. Yeah. Uh, always works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also not great if you're, like, in a very, uh, you know, compressed social space where people have to work with each other all the time. And, like, you know, it's there's, there's a lot of creativity stuff is on the table, too. So it's, like, um, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. You know, you always want to, like, help other people achieve their ideas. But then also you have your own ego sometimes. And it's, like, but then you're, like, that's dumb. Like, yeah. why would I... But that's always there on some level. You're always like, me. But, like, you always have to be like, okay, well, big picture is, like, the show is the most important thing. And the creation of the best possible show is always the most important thing. And that should overwhelm all other, like, um, like solipsistic tendencies that you have. What kind of fights are happening, like, just over, like, over, like, um, representation in the show? Is it, like, fights over, like, who's light in the running order? Or is it fights over, like, are people becoming, like passionately fighting over uh, over like no we shouldn't be doing this kind of scene or this is the wrong approach to the scene or, mm-hmm. or like what, what kind of stuff would would it would be prone to, to oh, it's not of running order so much because that's that's the uh, director's yeah. job um and it, i also want to say it's not really fights necessarily. we're not like we hate each other yeah. it, it, we love each other and because we all come from the place that we want the show to be the best show it can be yeah and we all have different versions of what that is um 
but uh, some of it is like, is the sketch right? You know, is it is it to this or to that? Is it towing the line? Is it offensive? Um, like, is it, are we getting the wrong kind of laugh mm-hmm. with this kind of joke? Mm-hmm. You know, do we want to encourage that? Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of the bits in the show is that we're a very diverse cast. Uh, so there's like uh, Lolu, who is um, originally from Nigeria, um, but he was raised mostly in England. Uh, and then, so he's he's black. And then uh, Ian is is biracial. He's uh, half black, half white. I'm Chinese. Uh, we have two women who are queer in the cla- in the cast in the cast. So there's no like traditional straight white man mm-hmm. in the cast, which we call it as a bit in the show. And we want to be like, all right, we want to carefully couch this in a way where we don't want the audience think to think it's okay to start like, you know, to start messing with us based on that presentation of that as a joke you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah that's a really careful how you control that situation it has to be like really well thought out yeah the, the context everything that you're doing has to be super well protected right. because then you present yourself as like take pot shots at us right. it's okay and you don't want that either yeah yeah um uh, this podcast by the way is hilarious <laughs> somebody somewhere is finding something <laughs> funny to laugh at you sickos you know right like Laughing at totally the wrong... Whatever, who yeah. cares? People care. love hyper-specific process. There's enough laughter in the world, you know what I mean? Like, oh, thank you, Let's Evan. have some real serious conversation. That was nice. That was great. Evan uh, just adjusted my collar. Yeah. That was a real, like, touching gesture. Yeah. Yeah, very beautiful. Um, thanks, that was bothering the shit out of me, too. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, um, um, okay, so, so how, like, how do you protect stuff like that in that situation have you dealt with because you get drunks and you get people from from all around the all around the world Mm -hmm. um do you get like shit do people like feel like well you're a comedian so your job is to just like let me rib on you and shit like that oh yeah or or, or i imagine people like challenge you too to see how you're gonna like raw how how you're going to like give back yeah um how do you deal with that stuff um a lot of it is getting a feel for the audience in that moment like if you're on stage, like presenting a short form game or whatever, you're hosting something in, in the moment and there's some drunko screaming something over and over again, like to have an internal gauge of, okay, how, how unignorable is this guy right now? How much does the audience hate him? How much, uh, like have they gotten, does the audience dislike this guy enough at the point that if I like kind of like tastefully, uh, zing him, it will get an overwhelming response that in, that is enough to make him like, all right, I get it. I'm drunk and I'll shut up now. Or is it like, you know, you never want to like be mean. You never want to be like, Hey, you're, you know, a drunk fool. Mm-hmm. Stop being a drunk fool. Mm-hmm. You want to like, you want to be like tasteful and in charge and like have like a little bit of like a bite to it, but you don't, you know, you don't want to be a jerk. No, right. one, no one wants to see someone be a jerk on stage. Right. Um, so it's kind of, I think it's a lot, it's like kind of like you have to, Whenever I do it, at least, I always like kind of calibrate, like how annoying really is this guy, yeah, and how sick of this guy is the audience right yeah. now. You ever you you have you gotten out any like really great singers that surprised even you? Uh, let me think about that. Um, n- uh, no, normally, actually, in, <laughs> the funny thing is that like traditionally. Like these zingers are supposed to put down the audience, but all my zingers are self-deprecating. Yeah, like so. Um, one like we'll do a game where we get a list of suggestions of like emotions. I right? and it'd be like, oh, happy, sad. Someone always yells horny, yeah. and then um, someone's like, just oh no no oh I'm sorry, 
I'm setting it up wrong. Uh, we'll get suggestions of lines of dialogue for, for something that your mother might say, mm-hmm. motherly advice or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, wear clean underwear is one we always get. And then uh, one time this guy was like, I'm disappointed in you. And I was like, oh, sir, your mother was Chinese too. I see. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, all my jokes are like basically about me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not great about zinging people because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to... You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to get that kind of laugh. And also, like, I don't ever feel confident enough in zinging someone else to yeah. be like, look at this asshole. Like, yeah. I don't like, to me, because it, it, it even has this element of, of bullying in it, which I don't really like. Yeah. Um, but some people are really, really good at it in a way that is not mean-spirited, you know? There, 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 there is a little bit of, of um, kind of like first day in prison of like testing out to like see like who the biggest guy in the prison is and, sure. and like not gonna, there, there is a little bit in some shows where like an audience, there's some drunk asshole who's like testing to see if like it's worth being confident in what you're doing. Yeah. And I'm always blown away when, when you play with somebody who is like gracefully able to take control of the situation. Yeah. They're a pro, you know, they're a pro. Yeah. Cause it, they don't lose their cool. Yeah. Totally. Which is hard because, like, for me, I get so emotional inside when mm-hmm. people start heckling and talking in a show. I get so yeah. angry. That's why I'm terrible in a fight. Yeah. If I'm ever in a fight, I will always, like, be so overwhelmed internally, emotionally, that I will not be able to present a cohesive, logical argument yeah. in the fight. I'll just, like, be like, and, me too. Then, and then brood, yeah. and then, like, come up with things I should have said, and then that's it. Me too. <laughs> that, that's the end of the fight. Me too. And that, that has fucked me over so many times and, and caused me to do so many stupid things. Mm-hmm. And, and um, uh, uh, for me, when I, was, when I was in charge of Megawatt, that was always a thing when I would, like, break up a team. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would get very emotional beforehand for, like, weeks before I knew it was coming. Yeah. At, to the point where, like... Um, there is so much intense emotion that I probably came across as a much bigger asshole sometimes than I ever intended to mm-hmm. simply because I was like in pain and like it, it like distorts everything coming mm-hmm. out of your mouth. You can't be reasonable at all. Right. And it always catches me by surprise too, because I'm pretty mellow most of the time. So when emotions come on strong, I'm like not prepared to know what to do with them. And any little bit of talking during a show triggers all that stuff for me. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also it's, uh, so many other things are tied into that. It's like you wanting to be likable, you wanting to not let your ego get in the way, yeah. like like wanting to be objective about things. It's yeah. like those things are all always in in conflict in yeah. your brain. Yeah. As it uh, makes you a better performer, I would assume. To to uh, internalize a bunch of emotions and bottle well, them up. Like no, a, I mean it probably does, <laughs> right? Like uh, uh, there, probably, there probably is something of like. Ah. You know, to be it, Asian, it gets your Asian. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 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 it gets your engine going, right? Like, um, but like, um, uh, no, like being in an environment where people aren't laughing because they love you, and where people aren't being respectful oh. of your show because they're good enough to know to be respectful, but knowing that you you have to be able to like fight back sometimes or control yeah. sometimes, like it, it, it just kind of gives you that thicker skin and gives you that, that kind of like toning that's so required to be a real working professional comic. Yeah. I will say one of the things that resulted from it was I, every time after a bad show or I, what I felt was me performing poorly and not like helping the team enough, uh, I would always just immediately self analyze and self criticize and be like, all right, what did I do wrong? That yeah. was, that was terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, standard operating procedure for any improviser. And yeah. then after doing a bunch of shows, it kind of like, through attrition wears that down. So I'm, I'm now like if a if show doesn't go great, I'm like, all right, well, 
could I have made better choices? Yes, obviously. Oh, you can always do that. But also sometimes the house is quiet. Sometimes it's a Sunday. Sometimes, you know, there are variables outside of your control that aren't just your own, like, failed opportunities, you know, that, that are a result of the show not going 100% perfectly as you want it to go in your brain. Yeah. Um, which is, for me, huge because I would always, like, immediately after a show be like, even if it was good, be like, okay, why, why, where, what, what could have been better? Yeah. It was that callback was stupid like that i should have been do- I, oh i did this after the metal boy show it was like that we did on wednesday it was like after pat like pushed me away as the pope i was like i should have fallen off a cartoon cliff like, <laughs> I oh, why didn't i it's just oh, so obvious every time someone pushes someone off you should just fall off an arc of cartoon cliff god yeah. Uh, I really beat myself about that. I like that little voice that comes in your head that's like, you stupid piece of shit. Yeah. You should have fallen off a cartoon cliff. It, like, when you get, like, a little bit of distance and, like, see that voice operating, there's something so kind of, like, wonderfully funny about that. That that you're taking, I don't know, I, I kind of appreciate that some part of your brain takes it that seriously. I would love to see a Twitter feed of, like, hyper-specific self-criticisms yeah. from improv scenes. Yeah. Yeah, it would be amazing. Uh, um... Uh, what do you love about doing the show? Assuming you love it. Uh, I do really love it. The performance opportunity is, is really, really great. And I'm very, very happy that I, I get to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's such a hyper specific gig, you know? Um, I feel like it is, it is akin to doing the boat. Mm-hmm. Like in that you are, you're banded with this very tight cast, you know, you're kind of like on an, in a, in a small space. The world is very small. Well, I mean, obviously, Netherlands is an entire country and a boat is a boat. But like, you know, you're in a, you're in a weird social situation, you know, where your job is to perform a show. And outside of that, it's like your life. And like, it really comes down to like how disciplined you are as a person, like how, if you want to relax, if you want to like write, you know, if you want to like, all those things are kind of on you whenever you're not performing for the 22 hours, you're not performing, you know? Um, I really enjoy doing the show. Uh, the sketches that we wrote for the sketch show, uh, I'm really proud of. I've never done it before also, so I, I'm always like, oh, yeah, like I wrote this. And it's, it's very empowering to, to do that, yeah. to, like, to perform your own thing over and over and then, get, and then realize why it works. Because you know? a lot of times before this, I'd never really thought about, like, why do jokes work? Like, what was funny about that? I was just like, oh, okay, good. I said something funny at that moment. Phew. <laughs> have, you been, have you been able to, to kind of like find any, like, principles that you've discovered about like oh, okay this is what makes the sketch really solid or this is this is this is where like if i don't pause in this moment then the audience doesn't know what i'm thinking so then this line doesn't pay off in 15 seconds mm-hmm. so like have you discovered anything that's like oh it gives you it gives you like a diagnostic tool to have now when you're when you're looking at your own comedy i think a lot of it is what I would imagine you guys probably learn on the boat too, it's like when you're doing archival sketches, yeah. sketches that are like proven to work and have empirically worked and uh, you, everyone knows what their like laugh lines are and their land lines are and their setup lines, um, you perform it differently. Like you relax and you let each line land mm-hmm. and you're more clean about the presentation of it, you know, which is a lot of stuff that I never thought about, yeah. you know, and that is, it's just about being clean, you know, um, because a lot of times like I'll... I'm, I think so fast and I'm like, okay, oh yeah, I'll say this. And I'm like interrupting someone while they're talking and I'm mm-hmm. like, that's not clean. Um, so I think a lot of it is just uh, formatting the scene and trying to be as like, uh, this is your line, this is my line, 
this is your line, this is my line versus like, we're talking over each other because we both have an idea right now at this moment. Yeah. Um, I think the most stuff that I learned was like, was, uh, was like, was like that. Yeah. It was like, okay, these things work because you're setting up a very clear, simple thing that everyone can understand and is demonstrable through the actions of the performers on stage. And then how can you like, you know, milk that for yucks. Yeah. I was surprised when I, when I did the boat, um, I learned a shitload from Matt Havdi, who was our, our, the director for our mm. sketch show. And it was all archival material. We weren't allowed to create anything. Mm. Um, we did some improv in the show. Um, and the two big things I learned from him, one was running order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, and at second city, they have like a genius for running order. Absolutely. They've, they have cracked that code, man. And mm-hmm. they know they've done those chips so many times. They know how to, how to hold people Yes, and they know how to make people forget what didn't work. That was so awesome. Yes. You protect each other because like you move on to exactly the right thing and people just completely forget that that last game you played was shit. Absolutely. Nobody cares. Brilliant. Um, if it ends big, People will forgive the entire show. Absolutely. Um, uh, have that last musical number. Have that last surprising musical number, and everybody, they, they will forgive every... They have 20 minutes of total crap they mm-hmm. did. It, it, and it occurred to me that, like, <clears throat> these directors are kind of, like, listening to things musically. It, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, they're really paying more attention to the flow of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to get different kinds of laughs. Totally. That's the other thing that's so, so interesting is like, yep, you know, these are clever laughs. These are broad energy laughs. These are gut laughs. Mm. These are slowing things down. And, and these are booze. You need some booze now. You yeah. have to have people. It was a lot like, like a wrestling match. You have to have people kind of be against you at certain points, yeah. too. Because so much of the drama of the performance. In long form, you want people to forget about you, the performer. Ideally, mm-hmm. you know, you want to just like involve them in, in what you're creating. So they're not really paying attention to the story of you as a performer. There's no attention to you as a performer. Right. All the tension is on how you're playing these characters and how you're interacting. But in short form, you, the performer, are part of what people are. There, there's punish the actor games mm-hmm. that people love just yeah. to watch an actor sweat, you know, and like you're an integral part of the story. Right. So and that's people, part of the game. It's part of the game. Mm-hmm. So having people boo you is another like really important thing. And then winning them back with the next games. So that was like amazing. Yeah. But then the other thing was like breaking down these sketches from classic second city shows and really seeing of like, man, they have put thought into every word in this yeah. sketch. Every word counts and you're not allowed to change a single word yeah. because uh, um, because they because they've already run through the process themselves in the past, yeah. knowing exactly what works in the most economical way. Yeah, and yeah. and you kind of think like, well, whatever. Um, but if you're ever stupid enough in the show to like change that word that night, and you find of like, nope, yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, these guys are right because they've already formulaically developed that line. Yeah, it's like already arrived as a packaged perfect line. Yeah. So don't muck it up with your own weird thing. There's a totally different skill set as an improviser, and and when you're when you're hooked on improv, you kind of um, you, you kind of have like a little bit of like, well, whatever, it's be funny and bring a funny energy to it, and that mm-hmm. works really well in the context of improv. But what you kind of like miss out on is like the, that precision that stand-up comics have to develop yeah. of like figuring out the exact right way to tell your joke. Yeah, and then a lot of it, what, a lot of it is, I never even thought about scenes as like a sequence of jokes. Yeah. And part of what sketches taught me is that it is basically that. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, I, it, that is one of the things that I learned from it. To set things up and then to allow other people to like <sighs> hit a baseball bat is yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. I, that was clear, I think. That sound <laughs> was clearly a baseball bat smacking into a but, ball. Uh, but yeah, but I think also there's a thing of um, 
I didn't think about this stuff ever before because I always thought my relationship to comedy was casual uh-huh. and doing this job has made me think of it differently. Yeah. And I think we even talked about this too. Like, before you left, we talked about this. Yeah. 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 Where, where, and I don't remember if this was a conversation, if it was an earlier conversation where you were like, okay, well, you know, really think about what you want out of this. Mm-hmm. Like, because that will determine how you move forward. You know, if this is like, oh, there's a fun thing that I do or like, oh, no, wait, I want to make money and like do this professionally which to me for the longest time I was like, no, yeah, no, yeah, bad, yeah, no. And now I'm like, well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm in a position now where like I'm thinking about it much more, yeah. you know, and a lot of it comes from seeing directors like what you're describing on the boat, like people who have internalized these rhythms and patterns and the musicality of laughter in a, in a scene in a show over the course of hours or in two minutes so well that in like the note giving process after the show, they can be like, okay, well, that right there, that was a laugh, but it could have been better if you waited just one second longer. This, you put the inflection on the wrong word. Yeah. This, you closed the door at the moment you said the punchline so people couldn't hear it. You know, this, you were like looking away so people didn't get that joke. Like those, all those kinds of notes, you're like, oh yeah, you should constantly be like being as clean and open in the presentation of what you're doing as possible. Yeah. I, I, that awareness to like how you stage stuff too. I love hearing notes like that. Mm-hmm. Hearing stuff like you had the wrong inflection on the word the. Yeah. And that's why that, that joke didn't work. Uh, or, or like you close the door too fast. Mm-hmm. I love hearing stuff I like that. I never thought about any of that stuff before. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. Once you start attending to it, seeing the difference, it, it, and it's all in clarity, it's all in just like being in control of what you're communicating to the audience, mm-hmm. having them get what you want them to get the moment you want them to get it. Mm-hmm. It's like working like a magician on stage. It's a little bit like, not exactly misdirecting, but it's just like you're controlling everyone's attention in a very specific way so that they laugh exactly when they're supposed to be laughing. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I feel the same way. Of like When you're exposed to people who really have developed a mastery in that, um, it's a game changer, man. Yeah, and and, and some some of that. So, what was it for you when you were like when you were more casual about it? Was it a thing of of just like nerves, or was it a thing of you weren't sure that comedy was where you wanted to invest yourself, or was it kind of that thing of like like those are for special elite people? I, I think mean. it was all those things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a tendency to like be like oh then that's that's not for me you know because it's scary to say that it is for you you know and but also like a lot of people especially in this community are really talented and really funny and it's very easy to see a great performer on stage and then mythologize them and be like oh well they're just always perfect they're just always hilarious you know i think that all the time when i watch like a megawatch i'm like oh my god that's so amazing that they did that. I would never think to do that. And that really is the source of that kind of hero worship. It's like, I would not think to do that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. the source of all that like idolation. Um, but that's why I was never like, Oh yeah, I couldn't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I could ever do that professionally. It's just, you know, it's just not safe a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, if you really like say it out loud, it's like so dumb mm-hmm. to say it's like, that's, Oh, it would be hard. <laughs> it would be hard to pursue that. So I probably just like should, keep doing this dumb job that I have. That's the value in saying it out loud. It, 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 because when you do vocalize it, it, and like I'm so guilty of this myself, it's like my dominating thing uh, of just kind of like drift along and, and uh, you know, kind of like take it as it comes and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like... But when you do say certain things out loud and you verbalize like, okay, this is what I'm afraid of, it, it, there's something really worthwhile to like, yeah. okay, that I sound like an idiot. Yeah, That's a stupid, childish 
that literally is the four-year-old in my brain. Yes. Talking. And, and when it, it feels very rational when I'm thinking it, mm-hmm. but as soon as you put it into words, you're like, that is, that, that's what's holding me back from mm-hmm. making the effort that is so dumb, man. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just like continuing on this internal narrative that's never spoken out loud. Yeah. And you're just kind of wildly flailing. Like, yeah. I feel like I was just performing without any kind of long term goal. It's just like, it's fun, yeah. the end. And then um, to have the opportunity to do this was like, oh, okay, there's, there is a, there's a um, entire business of comedy that is like any other business. You can learn. You can, like, you just have to agree to yourself ahead of time like okay well this is something that i want to learn yeah you know i can work at it i can become better at it because it seems like so like secretive and cryptic and like oh what's the path to comedy success no one knows blah 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 uh you ever read that book uh uh, uh the mike Sachs book um not here's the kicker the other poking one. Like poking dead frog, dead frog yeah. yeah that book is great yeah and one of the takeaways from it, it's an interview it's interviews with dozens and dozens of professional comedy people from all walks of life like comedians punch-up joke writers, uh, cartoonists, you know. Um, the, the whole spectrum. Yeah, the whole spectrum. Yeah. Podcast people. Yeah. And the, the, one of the things that is universally threaded throughout all the interviews is like, everyone's like, I just worked my ass off and didn't know what, what, what I was doing, basically, yeah. until someone else recognized that I was doing a good job. Because and it's like, oh, there is no path at all in this weird career. You know, there's yeah. no like, oh, I'll do this and then I'll do this and I'll do that. And then I'll be famous and successful. Like that doesn't exist. The, it seems to me like the only two ingredients that are kind of across the board are, uh, hard work. Um, um, and, and even that is like a misleading term because I'm sure that for a lot of these people, it doesn't like, it is very hard work, but it's not, it doesn't feel like you have to get up and force yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just the thing of, of like you wake up and you do it yeah. and you do it every day. <clears throat> and the other, the other thing is either a passion for self-expression or a passion for amusing yourself or a passion for making other people happy or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. But there's like that element or, or, or the more obsessive types that passion is translated as like, maybe like a neurotic thing of, of there's like a neediness there, whatever it is. But those two elements seem to be the core and everything else. Nobody, nobody has walked the same path twice to get their career. Mm-hmm. I heard an interview with Joel Murray that I, I really dug where he, he said that he's always been, uh, a why not me kind of guy, um, which struck something because I'm the opposite of that. M- meaning he sees like other like a why me guy, yeah. Or or no, I'm a I'm a nah, not me guy. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm that guy. I'm a lot like what you described. You know, like oh, that, that's that's the sphere for very talented, very good people who are on a career path. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know how to do that thing. And like Joel Murray's point was like, well, neither do they. You know, like the job's got to go to somebody, so why not me? Yeah. And and that, you know, kind of has gotten him through a career. And it's like really, it is really good advice. And when you're around people who are just like hardworking professionals and you realize like, oh, there's no extra magic there. Mm-hmm. It's just you're hardworking and you have a professional attitude about it. Yeah, you just work your ass off. You work your ass off. And a lot of it, I think, is just knowing that you want to do that. Yes. And acting off that impulse. Yes. And, and the longer you delay about like, well, I'm wishy-washy about this. It's fun. I don't know. Like, the more you put off actually treating it in a ritualized, like, disciplined way. Yeah. Which, I, is, which is destructive. But it's exactly the same thing as when you're in a scene, too. The longer you put off making your choice. Yeah. Uh, um, the longer you're just in delay mode, the longer you're just like floundering in a scene and it might feel very nice and very supportive, but you're just kind of, 
you're not able to act on your choices. Mm-hmm. I think part like there's also the element of like, well, what if I don't like that? And what if I don't really want that? But a lot of that uncertainty vanishes the second you verbalize it and are yeah. like, I want a career. And also once you start doing it, yeah. it like the act of doing it is always more important than like all the bullshit you think before you do it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm so interested in putting up in, in show process. That's a super Chicago term. Incidentally, I don't think a lot of people in New York use show process. I'd never heard it before. Everybody in Chicago uses that term. When, when you're creating a show, you are in show process Mm -hmm. and process is crazy. It's the best word for it because it is an endless, um, cycle of discovery yeah. and you're constantly tweaking one thing and seeing if that makes this work and that makes it like so for example for the show that we did we didn't have a closing number until the premiere night mm-hmm. like we didn't know how the show was going to end we'd have like that last thing that that like hopefully brought it all together so like we wildly threw up like three completely different closers one was like uh, a song that was like a callback to every single suggestion that we'd gotten throughout the show one of them was like this insane, oh, I don't remember, we, we went through so many iterations of it and almost none of them worked until uh, we did one that was like a quick callback to something and then like a quick music bit and then we were out. And like, we didn't even know that that was going to be the close of the show until the night before the show premiered. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was the one when it came together. I was like, that's insane. Like we didn't, the process was figuring out what would work until, and you kept radically changing it until you found the thing and then that was set for the rest of the run of the show. Yeah. Are, are tensions super high when you're getting down to the wire like that? Or is there kind of like a calm, trusting faith that it will happen? I think it's kind of both. Yeah. Like I, at the, near the end I was like, okay, well the show is basically done. Yeah. So a lot of it is just figuring out how we're going to end this and like tweaking the things that I'm responsible for and trying to come up with ideas for things, ways to improve the rest of the show if, if we still need them. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like once you know the deadline is happening, then you kind of like zen out a little bit. Yeah. Kind of, you kind of like ease up a little bit about it. I read an interview with McNapier one time that he had said, like, there's always this point in the show where it's got to go up in a week and, and it's completely, you don't know what the hell your second act is and yeah. everything is chaotic. And he always has this moment of realization of like, well, it has always worked out before. <laughs> It just like somehow you know that like it'll be fine, uh, you know like it, 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 just the madness of it is part of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do you develop sketches? I I, I love th- that's like the classic Chicago way of working mm-hmm. to not necessarily write down anything that you're doing, but by time a show goes up, you're so well versed in the show you own every moment of it because you, you partook in its creation that you can be crazy enough to try out four different endings and and not be in a panic mode of like, how the hell am I going to memorize these endings? Mm -hmm. You just kind of like, it's in your blood a little bit. Um, it's a brilliant way of creating material. Um, what's it been like for you? How, like, how, how are you writing sketches these days? How, how are you, this is like such a pat question. How do you, how do you, chase your ideas how are you developing it in rehearsals or how much are you using improv to crack it open how much are you coming in with premise how do you know when you're done Mm -hmm. when we did the show when we're in show process a lot of it would it kind of ran the gamut like some people would come in with fully typed out sketches and that was it um other people come in and be like okay well i don't really have anything except uh uh we're we're in an office we're all vampires and one of us is a werewolf which was one that i pitched that's great (laughs) it got put up like three times i'm like this is not working let's just throw this away please yeah um 
and some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. And then if it, if the directors are like, okay, this has legs, we'll keep this one, but we'll like really spend time, like really investigating what doesn't work and really try to pull out, extract what does work and like really live in that. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, uh, during the show process, it, it, we did the full range of ways to come up. A lot of it was just, we come up with a short premise and then improvise it and be like, oh, okay, that, that works enough to put up, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, now, whenever I try to write, I always like, I'll have an idea and then just sit down and try to like write folk in a focused way about it. Um, but I feel like that always is not as good as trying to remember bits that you do with somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're ever like hanging out and like you go into a bit that you're like, oh, this could be a sketch. And then you like try to remember what worked about it. It's always so much livelier. It's always more alive. I feel like more so in the same exact way that like an improv scene with two people is better than an improv scene with one person. Yeah. You know, like you, there's more room for surprise. Right. Um, so I try to, for anything that I write now, I try to like have, have had another voice involved in it yeah. because that's the only way I'll, I will surprise. It's very hard for me to surprise myself mm-hmm. sometimes. Like I, I read this book about the oral history of the Simpsons, how like Conan O'Brien used to like go into his office and then close the door and then type and just laugh. Like he would just crack himself up cause he was like so funny. And I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sick of this brain. I'm not going to surprise myself. Yeah. But he was able to do that and it was amazing. And it's like, I, I need, I personally need to like be surprised by another person to like have that extra thing that makes the scene work in my mind. It's also like when you're remembering riffing with somebody else, there's already like, even if you change every line that you riffed, you're kind of like the spirit of the thing is already there and it's kind of like guiding more ideas, but there's something like, there's something to either starting from scratch in front of a computer or, or rehearsal in the background or, uh, it's like, it's like the in beginning of inception, yeah. <laughs> like overthrowing a central American city. Um, uh, when you're starting with something that now you have to fill it with spirit, is such a different thing than remembering the spirit that's already been there and yeah. letting like the words come through it. I, so looking at, at a sketch and, and, you know, having the encouragement of your director telling you that like the legs are there, but it needs a lot of work. How, what is the balance like between sitting around talking about it versus just like trying shit up on your feet? Uh, Cause I'm, I'm nervous I know when I'm directing stuff, I'm kind of a, I'm very long winded. I'm a world-class talker. Mm -hmm. I can talk forever. But when you're working on material, I'm really nervous about talking too much about anything. I would much rather you just put it up on its feet and just keep on trying more stuff with it. So what are you guys like sitting around picking apart scenes and volunteering opinions? Uh, uh, Is it mostly the director pointing stuff out or are you just like on your feet all the time? Uh, we would do a lot of sitting around picking stuff up. Like when we were in show process after the set, we would sit down and get massive notes yeah. and like get notes for the show, get notes for the set, uh, what works, what doesn't work. And then they would open up like, all right, well, this sketch is like 50% there. What is not working about? It? And then everyone would chime in about their choices and, and whether or not they think it is worth pursuing. Um, for me though, it was hard because I'd never done it before. So I'm always like, Oh my, my, like I, I, I don't want to, mess it up you know it's like classic like first year anything right. uh, approach like, I don't want to muck it up um, but I also found that the, that the sketches that always work are the ones where someone brings in something 
that like their own take on their read of the thing is like to give themselves this character tick or whatever, just because it's more fun for them to play it that way. And it's true to something about them. And that is like that life thing that breathes into the scene all of a sudden, you know, it's like the surprise that comes from it. So like for me, I always found that anytime I was like in another person's scene, if I'm just like playing it like, like Spock, (laughs) like, like a uh, uh, residual image Woody of just like, okay, I will read now, read these lines. I'm doing my job correctly. It's like, it's obviously more bloodless. And I was like, okay, a fun way to read this line would be as if I was this, if I was that. It's yeah. like, it's got that extra little whatever thing that would make it memorable yeah. or interesting or different. Yeah. Uh, um, any examples come to mind? What's the stupidest sketch idea you came up with? Uh, fart Olympics. It was uh, 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 get out a piece of paper and a pen, guys. This is um, people come out and they're they're you're, you you already know it. <laughs> you, yeah. guys it. Yeah. you guys get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how much time do you spend on Fart Olympics when you come in and suggest let's do Fart Olympics? How much time will you give over to rehearsal to figure it out? Uh, we did that in about like the sketch is like thirty seconds. So yeah. like. I would just be backstage. I'm like, all right, guys, this is what's going to happen. This, this, and this. All right, let's go do it. Yeah. And then that's it. When you improvise, are you improvising like classic Chicago style? You're getting a bunch of suggestions, going backstage, planning it out, and then coming and doing it? Or are you doing spot improvs? Um, you mean during show process or during the show itself? During the show itself. Uh, during the show itself, if we do short form, it's all just like straight up short form games. Okay. It's like New Choice, Blind Line, um, like Genre Roller Coaster, uh, like the game where you speak for like audience sound effects. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you know, like all those games are are kind of like set um during show process we did do like a padded set which is like you have you know a big sheet and then you take a whole bunch of suggestions and you just like you'll do a round of quick scenes that like pull from two different suggestions uh-huh. you know like let's see a scene with donald trump on the moon or whatever and then you just so somebody's like somebody's by the pad on the side of the stage mm-hmm. and, and calling call out. out let's see donald trump on the moon and then two people just come out immediately and do donald trump on the moon yeah until the lights go out yeah yeah until they edit it and then call two more random combinations that's got to be a new experience of a way to improvise yeah it's it's weird because it um like i feel like like i i never had any opinion about short form before i was like short form meh before doing this job, and now I really appreciate the value of it. Yeah. Um, because a, a lot of what short form does is what you're talking about before with the second city directed thing. It protects the actors in a very uh, specific way. Like, it just, it creates a premise that everyone understands before the scene even begins. Yeah. And so everyone understands the rules, and all I have to do is execute the rules, and then people are like, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so a lot of short form stuff like that is like, if you pull a scene of like Trump on the moon, that's already weird yeah you know all you have to do is do your best trump on a moon and then the scene should be pretty okay you know in a way it's not too different than what you're doing when you're just sitting around riffing with friends sure anyway it it, but having that extra thing uh, of of an audience watching you especially in like a paid show or like an international show or like a world-class show you might be more reluctant to just come on out and do your stupid donald trump face Mm -hmm. and and go for it Mm -hmm. And that's what's cool about short form is that like you do have to kind of tap into that thing of like fuck it. There's yeah. a real strong fuck it attitude to yeah. short form of like just pull the fucking trigger, dude. Yeah. You know, get out there and do it now. Yeah. Um uh shit, I've lost my thought. <laughs> we were talking about Fart Olympics. Fart Olympics mm-hmm. sounds really good. I I did you ever do um uh Kevin McDonald's class? No, it, it was an improv to sketch class. Yeah. No, I didn't. It's cool. He, I did the two day version of it, where day one you're improvising and then and then turning stuff into sketches, and it's all like improvise a group scene. 
the way he would do it is um, location and first line of dialogue. And then you play that scene for like six minutes. And then uh, you like sit around, pick apart what we liked about it. And then he gives a note and then he sends you off again with that group. And he's like, you have 45 minutes. Come back in 45 minutes and put it up again and we'll see. And then like you do it again, but this time you have like 20 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then day two, everyone brings in uh, one line premises and then it's kind of the same thing, but it's like, okay, he's like, I like these five one-line premises, so let's get five people together. You guys are going to do this one. I was in a group, and I forget who came up with it, but the premise was New Age Coal Mine. Love <laughs> so, it. So, Love you go, it. so he's like, you have 40 minutes. Go do something on New Age Coal Mine and come back, and we're going to put up a show in 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. you know, um, Which, to me, this was such a cool experience because that's fucking impossible and terrifying, and I had no ideas about New Age Coal Mine. Didn't know what to do. But then it's just like, well, we got to do it. And then you just do it and you come back and you have this thing that's really wonky. But in that wonky thing, there's like two good jokes. Yeah. And then you come back again and zero in on what works about that joke and make that the centerpiece and then go work for 20 minutes. And like by the end of the day, it's like, holy shit, we have like 11 really funny jokes off of this thing that seemed impossible yeah. this morning. There's something so kind of non-precious about the headspace that you have to get into of just like make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a it, there's a very like do or die thing. Like, okay, we have to write a thing about New Age coal mine right now. Yeah. It is our task for the next 20 minutes. We have to come back with at least something. Yeah. And that allows that abandon to happen. And it is a very like very basic like yes and. Like, yes, let's explore this idea. But you're, it's funny because your instinct is always like, oh, New Age coal mine. Impossible. That's not, I can't do anything with that. Yeah. You know? um, but again, it's like you don't, the doing of it, is the thing that reveals what is actually there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like aiming for a career in a way. It's like you're looking at comedy as a viable career option and you're like, impossible. Mm-hmm. And But it, it, there is a, like, doing it, the path begins revealing itself by like doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like in any improv thing where you're like, what am I holding? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm holding it this way. That reveals this to me. Like I'm finding out about it as I'm doing it. Yeah. But the doing of it is what allows the finding out to happen. Yeah. That, um, it must be such a proud thing when you, the show finally goes up and you find yourself, like how many sketches did you come up with that made it to the, to the final show? I think five. It's gotta be five sketches. It's gotta be an amazingly proud feeling. It was great. To have people laughing and, and, and to like, to, to have that ownership to it. That's gotta be, that's gotta be a lot of, a lot of wind in your sails. (laughs) A real feather in my cap. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, it was great. It was, uh, it was really cool. I, Cause I don't come from a sketch writing background at all. Yeah. Uh, I have just long form just, and then, so this job is all sketch, all short form yeah. opposite of what I know. Um, but it was cool. I mean, I, it was, it was a great, it was a great, great experience. You know, like I would never not do it. You know what I mean? It was yeah. so, I would never have been able to explain to myself what it was. You know, even now I would not be able to explain to nine months ago what he, what it was. Yeah. Uh, because it's like so many things all the time, up and down, low, good, bad, you know, all thrown together in like a three month hyper intense period. And then at the end of it, you give birth to this show and it's like, oh yeah, like we, I forgot in the trenches, I forgot that the whole point was to do the show that now exists. Yeah. That I'm proud of. So where's your head at now? Like going forward, you have three months left in your contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like what are you looking towards going forward? How is this like reshaping your, your direction? Uh, I don't know. Well, my first thing is I need to figure out whether or not I'm going to renew my contract. I still don't know. Yeah. I actually have to tell them when I go back, like next week. Yeah. Um, and what, what are the pros and cons? Uh, the, there's many pros and cons. Um, 
the biggest con for me right now is that I miss New York. I miss my family. I miss yeah. my friends. I miss New York, New York, New York. Like that was a huge thing when I came back. I was like, oh yeah, I love the city's great. Yeah, duh, the city's amazing. And then even like going to Magnet, like that feeling, that overwhelming community feeling, which which I really missed, was so great. Um, so that's the biggest thing. It's, it's hard, you know. It's hard being away from from your friends and family. Is is it? Um, the pros. There's many pros. Um, like I will be able to do. I'll be able to do the show again, except this time with that like year two kind of mentality. I think which will in which I can like stretch out instead of being like I hope I don't do this wrong. Um, there's like the weather will be way nicer. We're entering spring and summer. That means different houses. That means we'll get a more tourist audience, which is always a more like laughy, better audience mm-hmm. or, or just more responsive audience. Um, I think. Uh, I might be able to be involved in, this, in another show process, and the same thing with that. I'd be like, be doing it round two, or I, would, I would be able to write in a way that I like, kind of understand what, how and to what purpose I am writing, mm. versus just being like, I wrote this. I hope it's funny. I don't know. I'm flailing wildly. Um, so it's kind of like a, a chance to see if I learned anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It would be like, demonst- demonstrable learning would be the main advantage. Yeah. I think. Um, and also it's like, it's, it's a very unique opportunity and like, I, it would be great to like ride it out while I'm having it, you know, but I, I don't know yeah. if I'm going to renew it right now. Yeah. It's a big decision. Um, you came back and did your first metal boy show in nine months, uh, this past Wednesday. Mm-hmm. How is it coming back and doing long form after spending nine months? Oh my God. <laughs> I made that joke at the beginning. I was like, I don't, I only know how to sh- do short form now guys, which yeah. is true. I feel like my long form skills are just like a withered atrophied chicken leg. Um, but, uh, it was great. I mean, oh my God, the team is so much fun to play with. I love that team so much. Yeah. Um, that it was like, I was obviously like, uh, I'm real nervous about this. Um, but it was fantastic. It was like the, the energy on that team is so insane and like seemingly endless that like, I'm always like, this show is always this close to going off the rails. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's always like just about to go off the rails and like, I'm always surprised that it doesn't, that it doesn't just collapse cause it's just like a sugar rush. It's just like running off a cliff and then like not looking down yeah. basically. Cause the second you look down, then everyone dies. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I had, I mean, I had so much fun playing those guys. It was yeah. a wonderful, wonderful experience. There is like something, well, watching Metal Boy reminds you a little bit of like Indy, Indiana Jones in like Temple of Doom on like that like runaway cart thing. There's mm-hmm. like a little bit of like. Yeah, you're just like. Ugh. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It makes it really exciting. I remember it took me like two months when I got back from the ship and I was only doing it for half the amount of time you were gone. It took me like two months to get out of short form mm-hmm. thinking Yeah, where I'm just constantly <laughs> I mean, delivering punchlines. It's stuff. terrible. Like those yeah. choices you make are like they're they're short form has a lot of positive benefits to it. But one negative benefit of it is that you might even call it a disadvantage yeah. is that it, um, it kind of depending on the game can encourage you to go for like just jokes, yeah. dumb, cheap laugh jokes which are like so sellouty and just sort of like, brr, 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 am I right, audience? Yeah. Like, it's just like, duh. Like, we come on, guys, we're all smarter than this. But like, it, you know, it's another skill to have to know. It's all about like knowing, okay, this is a tool I can use right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I totally get that. I was like, my short form is like a pile of doo doo. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, my long form is a pile of doo doo. My short form is reasonable. Yeah. 
One, one more question before before we go. Um, you had said about like writing sketches now, like going in for year two possibly. You wouldn't be kind of flailing and hoping that it's funny, but you kind of know how to like target in of like, okay, this is this is what I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about like what that target is? Like what now approaching sketch. Uh, um, how do you approach it with a sense of like purpose or like definitive choice to it? What what are you thinking of now that you weren't thinking of nine months ago? Um, to me, it's about like number one it has to make you laugh. The yeah. idea has to be interesting enough to make you laugh. Like fart Olympics. Yeah, fart. Oof. Maximum yucks. Yeah. Fart Olympics <laughs> yeah. for only the performers. Every time we put it up, it died. Yeah, <laughs> I think two people left a show when we did fart Olympics. Uh, I was like, what? Come on. Should um, be universal. I don't get it. Yeah, it's how more universal can we get? Yeah, maybe they're just like not sports fans. There were no know? words in yeah. that sketch too. It's like <laughs> doubles the universally universality factor of it. Um, I, I think like like with any sketch, that idea has to be a, a, has to appeal to you, has to make you laugh, has to be unique and weird enough to you that you're like, okay, this is explore explorable for yeah. me. Um, it also, I think, you need to have an objective with it. Like, what am I? What do I want to say with the sketch? Obviously, um, but also like. I now think about in terms of like, who's in the sketch? How can I highlight them in the sketch? What is a skill set that they have can, that can be exploited in the sketch? That, That's like, great. That they can lend to it and make it pop. Um, I think about in terms of like making it as clear as possible and like restating the clarity of it time and time again and like sur- trying to find ways to surprise from within. Yeah. You know, like you're always like just setting up rules and then like either seeing how, seeing how much you can follow them or break them, yeah. you know, depending on the moment. Um, but a lot of it is like, I don't, I always feel, uh, very dilettante-ish about this stuff. I'm like, I never took a sketch writing class. So it's just like stuff that I think is funny and I'm just like acting on that. Um, and I always feel, I mean, I'm Asian, so I feel like I always need to have done my due diligence and homework (laughs) for everything before I am allowed to begin doing it, you know, versus just being like, all right, well just write. The whole point of it is just always write, you know, and like. If you write enough, then eventually you can parse out the things that stand out to you and you'll realize what is interesting to you and you'll develop your voice. That's the whole point is just developing your voice. Yeah. There, there, there are, I imagine, a handful of sketch comedians out there who are like really, really driven scientists, mechanical about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are. It's a very appealing thing for, for But then there's like a shit ton of improv and sketch comics who are professional working sketch comics who would be like in the dilettante category mm-hmm. of people who are like wickedly wickedly funny but only right because they have to um uh and what's funny like i was listening to uh um uh, martin short talking about just that recently uh, and like you don't you think of martin short as like oh he's part of like one of the greatest generations of sketch comedy ever mm-hmm. and uh, uh like it's just a cool thing to hear like oh that's how they felt too yeah it's just like they had they had 22 episodes to fill so they just had to fill it with shit but you don't like think of yourself as like, okay, now I know enough about writing sketches to do it. It's just like, hey, I got to do it. Mm-hmm. I got to get an Ed Grimley thing done tonight. So, yeah. you know, because you never will get that to that point. You'll never be like, okay, whew, I am here. Yeah. Now I can confidently, competently begin doing this thing. It's like you're all, everything is always just, you're figuring it out and you kind of hopefully get smarter and more capable as you continue doing it. Yeah. That's the moment, the moment when you're here, that's the moment that I, I get very suspicious. Yeah. Because it does, it does never arrives. Yeah, you know, it will never arrive. Yeah. You're always gonna bring yourself into everything, and if you know, that's always gonna follow you into every every place that you go. 
Woody Phil, it's been a pleasure talking, man. Ah, oh, thank you, Lewis. Thanks for being here. Good luck with your choice going forward. <laughs> Ding, new choice. <laughs> uh, for anyone who is not familiar with Woody's reference, that's a short for a game called New Choice. You can Google it and find out all about the rules, but you probably actually just got it from there and be like, okay, you got it. <laughs> Thanks for listening, friends. This has been the Magnet Podcast. Uh, a couple of big thank yous. First off, to our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, to our producer, Evan Ford Barden, to our executive producer, Ed Herpsman, and all the kind, fine, wonderful people here in beautiful Midtown New York City. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and give us a friendly, supportive rating. Kind words are uh, more than welcome as well. Uh, I've been Lewis Kornfeld. Thanks again to Woody Foo. Oh, thank you, Lewis. Thank you all for listening. Bye, friends. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.